You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello, this is Steve Shave, the director of LCMS Church Planting, and welcome to our first Mission Field USA podcast. Today with me, I have my dear friend, uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, who's the manager for church planting and our Mission Field USA initiative. Welcome, Mark. Hello, Steve. Good to have you with us. And today for our first episode, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Schultz. Detlef Schultz is the Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions and the Dean of Graduate Studies and Director of the PhD in Missiology Program for Concordia Theological Seminary. Welcome, Dr. Schultz. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me. And also, Dr. Schultz is a real-deal missionary who served in Botswana. He has pretty much written the quintessential book on Lutheran missions, Mission from the Cross. So we're very excited to hear about uh, not only from a theological perspective, but also from your practical perspective and also giving us some insight into what it is to understand mission uh, regarding our theology of the cross. So looking forward to our conversation today. So our first topic uh, might seem a little bit odd, but the first thing we're going to talk about today is what is the church? So as we would refer to that as being our ecclesiology, a study of what the church is, and it might be kind of a duh thing that if you're going to do church planting, you should probably understand uh, what the church is. But I think it's important for us to, to start with this as our question to be answered and that we should unpack uh, what truly makes the church church. I think there's a few different perspectives that are involved. I think there's a very practical perspective and how you will gather your core group of people together. You'll all be pretty much on the same page. You'll have a clear understanding of the direction that we're headed. How will we know that we've planted a church in this place? I think there's also a strategic sense to that as well in terms of how are we going to plan for this? You know, how are we going to reach out in the community? How are we going to equip people to be a witness in their everyday vocations? How are we going to get worship off the ground. All these things are things that are to be planned for, and it helps to understand what the church is and and her place in the world. And then also just a theological foundation for understanding what is it when we say it's the Lutheran church. I think uh, when you are going to a new place and there's no Lutheran presence there, it can be a little bit daunting, but this is going to represent to that community what it is to have a Lutheran presence uh, in that area. So, Dr. Schultz, can you help get us uh, started a little bit in terms of why do you think it's important for us to understand what is the church? Well, you know, if you are engaged in uh, church planting activities, uh, you uh, work with people and um, God's people. Uh, you bring them to uh, a fold, you bring them together. Uh, with the goal of worshiping. So I think uh, uh, clarity on what the church is is crucial for any church planter. So um, you would have to begin by defining the church as God's people who uh, meet somewhere at a certain location and uh, get together and sing and worship and uh, 
confess their faith and also share with one another the sacraments. So um, I, I see the church already emerging in Acts 2, verse uh, 40 following, where um, those that were baptized came together to hear the apostles' word, to pray, to sing, and also to break bread. So um, we can see there already uh, a church planting activity uh, uh, taking place, and uh, people then, once they have been baptized, come together. And so I would point to people as being the church. Uh, that would be my first definition um, of, of the church. All right, very good. And we'll unpack that a little bit more when we get into yeah. even Luther's marks for what makes the church. Right, right, right. And just yeah. to pique people's interest, too, and keep our listeners listening here, I think uh, it's probably good to point out from the very beginning that when you talk about people, when you think from a global perspective, the United States of America is the third largest population of people who are unchurched. That really gives us kind of that sense of urgency for why we need to be about church planting as a church body. I think uh, it's pretty well known that uh, church planting is also the most effective way to reach those lost people in these communities. And yet at the same time, there are so few in terms of percentages of churches that are actively engaged in starting these new missions. And I think the first question as we kind of launch into this, you know, where is that? Where where are the new people in the new places, whether it's right there kind of within your own region and area, or maybe it is like the big city outside uh, of your own area, but they're within your, your district. And how do we encourage uh, districts and mother churches to get active in terms of church planning? I don't know, my good friend Mark here has served as a, a mission executive. Do you think it's fair to say there is still plenty of work to be done? Definitely there is. And uh, a way to maybe understand it is the the Church of Christ is eternal, and it will always be, even after Jesus comes again and, and takes us all to be home with him. But congregations are not. For example, the, um, the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, I don't think that any, any of them are in existence today. But nonetheless... Uh, the church goes on, and that the church goes on because new congregations and local places are started. And as you mentioned, Steve, uh, new churches have the best ability, uh, it's been proven over and over again, to reach new people. Uh, I heard it explained this way, that um, people are a bit like Legos in that they have so many slots, so many little pegs for people. And when you've been in a church a long time or when a church has been in existence for a long time, they your slots are all full. And it's hard to make room for new people in the relationships that you have. Uh, when my family moved to St. Louis, we uh, went around to a number of different churches. There's a lot here in St. Louis, as you would imagine. And uh, we went to a very friendly church. And uh, we were greeted, we were welcomed, and it was all very wonderful. Uh, they were friendly, but there was still a big gap between they're being friendly and us actually being friends, mm. having that deep relationship where we felt like they knew us and we could have a conversation. So there was, uh, after we would attend the eight o'clock service, the Bible class wouldn't start till 9.30. And um, there, the nine to 9.30 was a very daunting time for my wife and I, because we would just uncomfortably stand around and ho hopefully make some friends. Uh, sometimes we'd go to Aldi's instead and come back for, uh, do some shopping and then, <laughs> But, it, but after a while, we really got to know people. But that process of getting you know, in, involved in people's lives and 
truly being friends is a process. And new churches have a greater ability to um, build those relationships because their Lego isn't full. All right, fair enough. So, uh, Dr. Schultz, one yeah. of the things that we're talking about here then is the the mission of the church, how that intersects with what the church is and the church's identity. And you've spoken about the church being God's instrument, and the church is to have this idea of sentness. Could you talk a little bit more about how God uses the church, as Mark was describing, as an instrument and uh, the idea of being sent? Yeah, we have, uh, I mean, uh, when we talk about church planting, uh, generally in mind the uh, the idea that God uh, sends us out into the world, and um, the word there that is used is apostelain, you know, mm-hmm being built on the on the foundation of the word of the apostles, but there's also a sentless character to the church, I would say. That means it must um, not see itself or herself as the end. It is always to look outward towards the world, because, you know, the Lord did say after all, uh, for he loved the world that he sent his own son, you know. So I think we must always keep a very... Uh, focused uh, outward look towards uh, those people who are not yet God's people, you know, in terms of having been brought into the fold. So, um, and in addition, I would say theologically, um, God is the subject of mission. So he uh, looks at us as humans who uh, are his agents and, um, and the word his means, and he uses us to proclaim God's word. There is, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of defining the church and the definition that we have available, you know, in, in the small catechism, large catechism, uh, also Luther calls it the, the sheep that hear their shepherd's voice. I mean, you want, uh, and this is uh, going back to just now what you said about the reasons for, uh, uh, for starting church planting. There's also a practical reason. I mean, we have churches uh, uh, not located everywhere. There are communities that don't have uh, church yet uh, in their midst. And that's why sentness is very crucial. We Mm -hmm. need to go there. We need to find those locations where uh, uh, where people are moving into. It could be rural, urban, suburban, inner city and uh, see our sentness that way, that um, wherever there is uh, a community in need of a church, we are sent to plant one now. Very so good. Yeah. A, a couple months ago, I was uh, preaching on the, the concept of the church and ran across uh, a bit of a word study on the, the Greek word for church, which is ecclesia. And of course, I think it's pretty commonly known that it simply means to be called out. That um, you know the, the church is God's people who are called out of the world for for a purpose, and uh, as I was doing the word study, it said you know in in uh, in the time of the scriptures when were written in the time of the Bible, the uh, the word could simply just mean an assembly, people who were gathered together, and um, one of the commentators uh, pointed out something that I had never heard before, and I'd be interested in the action of the other gentleman here is that these these were assemblies, but they were called for a particular purpose and would have authority to do something. So it kind of reminds me, maybe it was like a jury or some sort of city council almost in a sense. Um, but I thought that really was instructive uh, for our understanding of the church as well, because not only are we, we sent, we're sent with authority, 
uh, because we've been appointed by Jesus to do this. You know, um, he goes with us. Um, he commissions us. And uh, we are, you know, the voice of Christ in the world. So I don't know if you gentlemen have heard of that um, yeah. slant before, yeah, uh, that, the, that the church has the authority yeah, as when, well. When we get to the marks with Luther, I mean, that's that's where we're going to start the, the conversation, how he talks about the children's creed and how it describes the communion of saints. Mm-hmm. And he, he refers to that as the assembly, but what separates that from other assemblies? So, so yes, absolutely. Uh, we, we realize that that's, that's what it is, but there's something that even a child can understand about what makes the church, the church. And I think another piece of that, and Dr. Schultz, if you could help us with this too, but in terms of how it's formative uh, to understand what the identity of the church is, as Mark is saying, it's not it's not the building. I mean, when people say, you know, we're going to church, people might think that we're talking about a building. It's not. It's not an inanimate object. It's, you know, something that we hear with biblical language that's given to it. I mean, when, when it's referred to in the Bible, it's a bride, it's a she, it's a body, it's mother and daughter. That, that's the language that we use. Could you unpack that for us a little bit, Dr. Schultz? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the church, um, I mean, the word ek kaleo, uh, being called out from somewhere, you know, so it gives us this understanding that uh, this uh, group of people that uh, has been called out from the world around them. Um, I'm thinking here like uh, the Gospel of John saying, we are, are uh, in the world, but um, not... Uh, uh, in a way separated from it as well because as we gather we gather uh, around something very special so it's uh, it's not just a secular gathering of people you know it is uh, defined by where it meets and by the actual uh, uh, inner life that, that is being created through the word of God so and that's why I see uh, that the church is a uh, provides a very special um, uh, forum where people come together and we need to when we speak of church planting always be aware of that you know that um, uh, this community that the communio sanctorum we call it you know the mm-hmm. communion of saints you know yeah. um, I have been uh, created by God you know um, right. Luther once uh, called the church the creation of his word you know yeah. and I think that's that's uh, helpful to think this way that uh, we are um, holy God's people called by his word sustained by his word which you cannot have in any other community that meets so right. there's a special character uh, of, of a Christian community very good and I think when we think in those terms we kind of have those images of the New Testament and Paul's mission journeys and going into these big metropolitan centers where he's gathering people together. Um, But even in the Old Testament, I find it kind of fascinating that whenever you see one of God's sent ones and these sent people, when they get to their destination, the very first thing that they do, whether it's Noah or Abraham, one of the patriarchs, you know, these groups of people, the very first step seems to be establishing that altar and then calling upon the Lord. And it's not yeah. just for themselves. They're, they're publicly making this proclamation, and they're calling upon the Lord. How would you describe even the Old Testament of how God sends people, and the very first thing that they do is they, they set up that altar, and then they call on the Lord? 
yeah i mean that's that's crucial for for uh, for the old testament and for our for the new testament that uh, whenever you get together you the first thing is you worship god and uh, where god's presence is is that that's where also god's people are so um, it has to do uh, a lot with um uh, uh you know establishing a a something uh special around which people can uh, gather and uh, of course god can be found everywhere you know we can find god you know he's almighty and omnipresent but as uh, for the church to uh to to uh, worship and of wanting to come together they they are being given god's special presence and i think a temple or a um an altar, like you say in the Old Testament, establishes God's presence. And I think we'd say it's a public witness as well. You know, when they oh, yeah. when they called on the name of Yahweh, yeah. that was making a confession to the world around them of who the one true God was. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I mean, that's Jacob. Jacob and uh, uh, were uh, are to be regarded as missionaries. You know, they went out and uh, into a community. Uh, alien to uh, to those people they were around and uh, started establishing a church uh, a worshiping uh, community so uh, and that must have been seen by everybody around them and others joined uh, joined uh, in that worship as well awesome so yeah. let's let's dive a little bit deeper into mark's uh, comment about the assembly of believers um one of the places that we, we've looked to for Mission Field USA and as we gathered resources together was Luther's marks of what makes the church church. And we looked at uh, church and ministry, um, where he speaks quite a bit about that um, from on the councils and the church. Just to get us started, do you have a little bit of a, a narrative for us, the history behind why he wrote that? Well, uh, I think um, when you look at the date of that writing in the late 30s, 1530s, 1539, uh, you can sense that uh, there's Luther at work trying to uh, establish for his people uh, a kind of a definition of the church that is working on on the visible side of it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we could always say, you know, since the church is... uh, of those people who believe that it is an invisible uh, character, there's an invisible character to it. But I think Luther wanted to also establish a visibility that uh, would uh, would define the church uh, more concrete, mm-hmm. uh, more local. And um, I think uh, that was an attempt to go and clarify uh, misconceptions about the church just being a purely spiritual entity that has nothing to do with concrete meetings, you know, or something yeah. like that. So uh, I think uh, that was his purpose, to to almost uh, backpedal a little bit, you know, yeah. come back to the uh, basics of what he uh, thought would be uh, a church that, wherever it is, uh, would have these very signs. Okay, and I think, as Mark was pointing out, you know, it's was a common term, a regular assembly, but he he refers to it again, going back to the creed, in terms of holy people, communion of saints, and I think that's where you have to unpack that, that it's not just people gathered around, it's holy, and what is it that makes it holy? And then he walks through each of the marks that make this 
different than any other regular assembly? What is it that makes them a holy Christian church? Um, so when he talks about having the Word of God that's present there, when he talks about the sacraments that are there in baptism and Lord's Supper, when he talks about someone being able to go and confess their sins and hear in their own ears that that sin has been forgiven through the office of the keys being exercised publicly. And then Christ himself even gives us this institution of an office for consecrating a minister to to do that on behalf of the congregation, to preach the word, to hear confession, to administer the sacraments. And then he goes on to talk about how we have a witness and a life together that is in prayer and public praise and giving thanks to God and how that is both uh, the pastor and uh, the priesthood of all believers who are giving a public testimony to the world around them through their praise and thanksgiving. Um, all these things make God's holy people holy. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, the, um, the, the understanding here is that um, people uh, who come together are uh, in need of food, spiritual food. I mean, you could say... Um, that they are uh, uh, waiting for, to receive and uh, and receive from God. And so when we talk about holy, we're thinking especially of the Holy Spirit at work. And uh, being made holy is being created, being brought to God's presence in such a way that you are um, um, uh, holy and, and, and seen through God's eyes or from God's eyes as somebody who's worthy of acceptance. And uh, I think you could say righteous is perhaps another word we could use. And so when you look at these, uh, as you've just listed these uh, seven signs here, they all have to do with uh, the relationship uh, of the people with God right. and and what they receive and uh, and how they respond to that very special relationship, which can only be brought about through the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's what, what, what holy really means, not being self-created, but being given a, a gift from God uh, that makes us uh, 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 agreeable, honorable in His sight. Very good. And I think not only is it what makes them holy, but then what comes of that in terms of how the Church then interacts with the culture around them. It's not just these are some theological constructs that you have to understand. This is really the mission being in the very DNA of the church. So when I, when I think of this framework for mission in terms of witness and mercy and our life together, I think of mission actually being part of the DNA in the church. And you can actually see that in the marks of the church and how Luther even goes on to talk about the possession of the cross and how all these different things will result in showing mercy and love to our neighbor. So it's not in a vacuum. It's it's also how the church has her mission. It can actually be seen in the identity itself. Mark, you've worked on this a little bit too. You want to talk about that? The mission of the church has an identity within that. You know, and... Um, when I hear those seven marks of the church, I guess what pops into my mind is that, that they all have something in common, and, and that is the gospel. You know, that um, <clears throat> the the church is the presence of Christ in the world, 
with something that the world doesn't have, and that namely is the gospel, you know, which you know, the message of the cross that Christ uh, gave his life for the sins of the world, and there's no other way of for them to know. God works through means. He's, he's working through his, his people, the church, through word and sacrament in order to bring the salvation to people. Um, you know, when I, when I would teach a uh, confirmation class, I would sometimes say, you know, it's not normal that, you know, if uh, a plane crashed in the Amazon and uh, the mom and dad are killed, but the baby survives and is raised by she-wolves or something. Um, I know there's no wolves in the Amazon, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it wouldn't happen that uh, this Tarzan-like child, having grown up, would just be swinging on the vines and think, oh, uh, Christ died for my sins, and I can have salvation through Him. And He has to hear the message. Uh, you know, Romans ten. You know, uh, you know, faith comes by hearing, and 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 that's the uh, the essential uh, ingredient of mission, I, I believe, for the church. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things um, that are nice and helpful, and money, and people, and do demographic studies, and whatever. But um, what it all boils down to is the, the, the critical agreement for mission in the church is the gospel. Yeah, and, and that yeah. God not only gives us the word, but he gives it in this tangible way. You know, of all right. of our senses and the water and the bread and the wine to hear in your ear that that sin is forgiven. And again, I think that's what we tried to do with Mission Field USA and putting together resources for church planning is not only to give you kind of the why of planting, but also the the how-to, but even beyond that, it is to help us to identify what our mission in the world looks like and how, how Christ is working through the, the church uh, for that. Um, Dr. Schultz, do you have anything to say about how yes. mission is built into this identity? Well, uh, you know, um, I, I think uh, the signs of the church uh, are, are more than just seven. You could also add a few others, you know. Sure. <laughs> as you have said, the... Um, possession of God's Word is key here, I think, you yeah. know. Uh, the, the Word, as Luther would say, is, is active, you know. It, is, it creates people, you know, make, uh, makes them holy. And so uh, this, this, this Word cannot be boxed in, mm-hmm. you know. It cannot be uh, uh, contained. I think Luther recognized that. So yeah. he was content, you know, to uh, think of himself being in an office or at home, <laughs> But the word, the yeah. word would be going out, you know. So I think the dynamic character of the church lies uh, uh, very much at, at the root of, of her understanding the word of God, what it is and what it does and what it achieves. Yeah, and, and, and the outcomes. And it, yeah, yeah. And, and also, so, so I would say the word always points outward by bringing in new people. How do they become members? Is, is through hearing the word, as, as, yeah. as we've just heard here. Yeah. Um, I would also add another additional mission aspect to uh, the Church, namely that it is the recipient of God's mission. Mm-hmm. So um, it is not only serving as God's instrument to the world, but it is also a recipient of all the gifts from God right. through the word that then are being passed on to, our, to the outside world. So... Yeah. Yeah, and all I, around the wood. Yeah. Amen. And and I appreciate that Luther is realistic about this, and that he also includes you know these wonderful gifts, but at the same time when he talks about our our life together, that the holy possession of the sacred cross will be there. And when I when I think in those terms, you know, you're planning a church, 
you're raising up people to go and witness, you're doing outreach through all kinds of human care activities, and, you know, there's never been a Lutheran presence in this place, now there's a solid, strong Lutheran presence. It's not like the devil just says, hey, you know, you guys, Christ Lutheran Church, you're doing an amazing job, you're loving your neighbor, you're reaching these lost people. I what? give up. Yeah, <laughs> I give up. Great job. <laughs> Keep up the great work. You know, he, you know Luther's very clear that, that the devil is going to thwart every plan. He's going to throw everything he can at you to divide you. You know, I know in most voters' meetings for the core group at the church plant, you're thinking it's spreadsheets, you know, the budget's not adding up. That's what's going to and the mission in this place. But, you know, I really honestly believe it's kind of unity that is the key. And I think that us and the cross and, and the devil trying to uh, divide is really, uh, you know, that that is kind of that cross that will always be yeah. there. And the sacrifices that are made. And, you know, he says when you have these marks of the church, he doesn't say it's a mark, but he says that the natural outcome will be that you will love your neighbor. You will go and you will show mercy to your neighbor and and then they'll give you an opportunity to meet people you've never met before and to be able to witness to the love of Christ. And it it kind of reminds me, like, for example, we did in my church plant experience going into a shanty town where nobody really went on the wrong side of the tracks or working in some trailer parks. And I remember one project where it's in the middle of Georgia, it's like 150 degrees. You know, I had an elder that grabbed me a pair of work pants because my legs were so torn up from thorn bushes and we're messing around with insulation. It's just the grittiest, nastiest work you can imagine. It's kind of like the, the cross. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we're suffering and sacrificing for the, the love of our neighbor. Um, but that's what I'm saying that's so wonderful about this, too, is that this isn't a program. This is the life of the church, and part of that was our life together. And it didn't matter how horrible the project was, just the fact that we were doing it together as the family of God. We loved one another. We loved being able to go and tell people the good news. Um, so, yes, the cross was there, but at the same time, there was pure joy in this. And again, I, I love the fact that when we talk about the identity of the church and the mission of the church, this isn't a programmatic thing. This is the natural life of the church given her identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would add to that that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the bearing of the cross uh, or living under the cross is, is simply saying we are servants. We are servants of Christ. And uh, we are not greater or better than Christ. So, just like He suffered, so so do we. And um, and uh, for a church planter, this is a, a key uh, issue here because, I mean, uh, when you start planting a church somewhere, you will uh, always have to, in the back of your mind, think of failure, hmm. and um, and setbacks. And we have to anticipate that uh, God's word, as we proclaim it, will be resisted. People will speak up against it, and uh, for every church planter, it's it's very helpful to to come to grips with uh, suffering, with resistance, misfortune, and um, and we also have to think of other people all around the world who are being persecuted for uh, for the word and um, and for sharing it with others. So um, we have we have to be uh, mindful of this very reality of suffering. 
under the cross. So um, it's an important point you make there. Excellent. Very good. Mark, what uh, else do you have to say about this? I would say some. I would maybe add that I think as a church we've lost our nerve a bit, and I think that's too bad. Uh, we, we do get discouraged. We're almost afraid of our shadows, I think, in our current culture. Um, because, you know, frankly, it, I mean, the media or, or many uh, components of our culture is very hostile to the church these days. But um, it doesn't change the fact that we are the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the of the world for eternal life, but also to make sense of, of this world, which is uh, increasingly, uh, I mean, it's almost comical, that the stuff that we hear on the news uh, of uh, people di- denying reality of the, just the simple natural law, um, and and when we as the church can say, you know, hey, I know I know the guy that uh, made all this and planned all this, and you also can see that you're just suppressing the truth, you know, the, the sort of the Romans one idea, um, and so the church is going to be able to stand up and say, um, you know, you can try your thing, it's not going to work, you know, and we'll be here. And we're going to have hope, and we're going to have light. And you know, I I, I really do like uh, the you know I think First Peter uh, chapter uh, two eight and nine is I, I think pretty instructive with that too, especially verse nine when uh, uh, the church is called a, a you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You know that idea that we're a royal priesthood. You know certainly was something that Luther. Uh, re-emphasized and re-established during the Reformation, but you know it's in the Old Testament, you know already um, repeated in the Book of Revelation as well as here in the Book of, of First Peter, that um, the Church is the, the bride without blemish, um, you know, in God's eyes. Amen. <laughs> you know, we know we're pretty messed up sometimes, but uh, in Christ um, we are righteous, we are holy, we are totally forgiven, and we're sanctified, and. We are the hope of the world. There, there is no other hope um, that guides our life well in this world, but also leads us to eternal life, to those eternal shores, um, if, not only for us, but motivated by love for the world. You know, we just have to look out to the world and say, you know, we have to care about people um, that are lost, that are straying, that might be our worst enemies. Mm. Um, but... The gospel, you know, according to Romans 1.16, is the power of God. And we as the church have the power of God to do his will. And his will is that uh, people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and have salvation through faith in him. Right. Amen. Uh, our true hope. Um, yeah. Dr. Schultz, any last thoughts that you have about uh, this idea of what is the church and the importance of that and the mission of the church? I mean, uh, the church is... For me, something you go to, you visit. Um, it's a place where uh, we have to uh, move physically to. And uh, for any church planting project, you know, it's not a house. We know that it's it's not defined as a building, but uh, it it nonetheless needs a, a building and uh, a place to where we can congregate. So. That's always uh, very important as well, as we have, uh, uh, as I have learned from my own experience, that um, finding a suitable worshiping center or uh, a location that is somewhat neutral, 
not uh, not defined by a family's home or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure. That uh, the location is crucial. I think uh, one should always be aware of this. And and uh, since you mentioned in the beginning that um, uh, every uh, so many churches are closing, so uh, I would just say it's a simple math. You know, for every <laughs> church that closes, uh, yeah. we should have a new one open. Yeah. And, um or two, and I, I think that 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 is a not just a a, a mantra that we adopt here, but uh, it's it's very seriously uh, uh, to be considered as as a church that we are sent to plant churches, and I think uh, we can grow as 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 communities as churches that are already existing can grow, but uh, I think the key to our future as as a synod would have to be planting churches uh, everywhere. Yeah, very good. And, yeah, yeah, that, that would be my 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 voice, you know. And uh, David Bosch uh, once said, uh, you know, we are we are to be the gadflies, you know. We are to tell people uh, and remind them repeatedly of this task. And uh, in a way, uh, we together here as missiologists and uh, mission-minded people uh, will will bear the cross also for saying that, because uh, not too many. Um, uh, follow uh, exactly the same mindset as as we have. So I'm very hel- uh, very thankful for this podcast and that we are doing this. Yeah, that's really what the podcast is for. It's it's yeah. dealing with the idea of fear and obstacles and why why do we not have more mother congregations that are giving birth? It's just a natural part of the life of the church. What's kind of holding us back? And the conventional wisdom, as you said, is you typically want to gain about 2% uh, of new congregations each year just to keep up uh, with the number of churches that close. When you have massive shifts in demographics and urbanization, um, you know, how do you address that? How do you uh, bring this new mission to, to new people? So thank you so much for helping us with kind of our first uh, podcast out of the gate. But we hope that this series is going to help to remove the guesswork uh, for a lot of people, uh, to really encourage and to equip and to support people in our mission work around the country. And if nothing else, uh, you can be guaranteed that we're, we're going to be praying hard uh, for all of our districts and our congregations. And just uh, help open the eyes of the wonderful opportunities uh, that God has set before us. Um, We live in tumultuous times, (laughs) a lot of challenges for us uh, as a nation and for us as the Christian church. But we know that uh, God has promised uh, us uh, his goodness and that we are not trying to uh, preserve an institution here. We're trying to be faithful to that commission to uh, go and make disciples of all nations, and those nations are here at our own doorsteps. So we're, we're very excited about this podcast series, and Dr. Schultz, again, we want to give you our thanks for helping us to get this kicked off good, and thank you, Mark, for uh, helping as well today, but stay tuned. Uh, much more to come in Mission Field USA. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.